Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Hello everyone and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is Benji and we have a friend of the show returning today, Dr. Ken Keyes, who we've had on before. You can check out episode 16 on personality tests or episode 22 on how to hire for a role you don't understand. He's back. Uh, and if you didn't listen to those, I'll give you a quick intro, a quick bio on Dr. Keyes. He holds a PhD in leadership and management and is the president of Consulting Resources Group, or CRG for short, a global consultancy focused on team building, leadership, and communications. Today's conversation is about core values. Now, I personally hear the term values come up a lot these days in business circles and books and with speakers and at conferences. I got to say, though, I'm pretty dissatisfied at how surface level the conversations around it are. Hire for values, train for skill. Core values are the foundation of a strong culture. You get the gist. There's a lot of kind of airy platitudes that we say about this that don't really explore the subject matter in any meaningful way, at least to me. Now, I think we can all agree that values are extremely important, deep, and nuanced, but I wanna get behind the buzzwords and figure out what's really going on here and learn how they make leadership and team building easier. You can expect to learn today why 80% of the working population is wildly unhappy with their career and the role values play in that shocking statistic, how to think about, talk about, and write about your core values so that they're way more than just some $5 words on a poster that no one actually cares about, and perhaps most importantly, we'll talk about how to assess for core values fit in an interview so that you don't find out the hard way six months later that this candidate or new employee is indeed not at all aligned with you. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's dive in with Dr. Ken Keyes. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Dr. Ken Keys, welcome back to the show. How are you, my man? Um, I'm awesome, sir. And yourself? I'm are you doing, doing really okay well. as the host? I'm are you surviving? I'm doing great, man. Okay. I'm doing great. Uh, it's a tough job. You know? I know. I it's know. Dealing big, with guests like I got to have you guys like you on all the time. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, 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 it's work. I'm just joking. Okay. We've got a, we've got a, uh, I'm looking forward to this one because I feel like values, this whole conversation, this whole topic needs some demystifying. You hear it talked about all the time at conferences and trade shows and gurus are bringing it up in every single keynote mm -hmm. that they give the importance of values. I always am left feeling like there's more to this conversation than meets the eye and no one ever kind of gets past just the, the buzzword. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, uh, you've got, you've got some, um, you've got some tools built around this. You've obviously taught a lot about this and, and, and work on this, uh, this subject matter with your clients. I want the Ken keys definition. What is a value? First of all, two part mm -hmm. question. And why do they matter? Second of all. Okay. Well, first of all, what is a value? A value is something that you think is valuable to yourself. 
And there's what we call in our work. So we, I have a book, Why Aren't You More Like Me? And one of the chapters is the value. And we have a values preference assessment. That value set is what we call behavioral values or internal motivators. So this, these are things that need to be present for you to feel fulfilled. Right. Now, there's also contextual values, like the value of family or the value of travel. Those are not internal motivators. Those are sort of external conditions that contribute. One's not better than another. They are simply different, but both are important to clarify on this values clarification journey. Mm-hmm. And what's the and what's the difference between say like a like a personal value and and uh, and a team value? Well, there's you, you make the distinction between the two. Oh, they're significant. And okay. here's the reality: is that business values or team values or organizational values is contextual to the company and to the organization. Personal values; these are things that are that are innate or internal to me. The external ones are more sort of decisions around behaviors. Example is customer service excellence. Yes, that could be a value to me, but that's not what's motivating internally to me. Maybe it's more a value of creativity or maybe it's a value of independence. But team values, organizational values are basically behaviors or character traits that you believe are important or foundational on how we're going to conduct ourselves here in this business, in this team, and in this organization. So if I say innovation, if I say customer excellence, if I say diversity, whatever it is, those then would be down the team values sort. And then we actually have a separate assessment for that purpose because we don't want to mix the two. Both are important, but both are different. Okay. So maybe we'll talk about each individually for a minute on the... Um, on the personal values front, mm. where do they come from and do they change over time? Or are these like a permanent sort of cemented in value set that we have? Like it's it's just sort of like that forever or do they kind of evolve and, and morph through time? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> so, so for those who are listening, what's, what's Ken saying? What are you saying? For us, the majority of what we call internal motivators stay fairly consistent throughout our lifetime. Now, things change, lifetimes change, all of a sudden retiring, what's a priority for you kind of shifts. But when we talk about internal motivators, these are core essence that need to be there and present in your life for you to fulfill. And we'll get into the, the practical side of this here in a moment. And the other person says, do I have, now this is personal, do I have work values and do I have home values? And we said, we disagree with that is that you actually have values because you take whoever you are, wherever you go. Right. So I'm at work, I'm at home. Did I change? All of a sudden, did I just like, no, I'm, I'm there. So these are internal that when present, I feel fulfilled. Could I give you a practical example? Yes, please. So we have a list of values and one of the values on our list is tranquility. So this, a manager had a 400% turnover in his team. And he says, Ken, I need some help here. I need to, I need to be able What's to have some stability yeah, with this yeah. team. So I come in and I find out that he's hiring people with tranquility as one of their core values. And we also have a grid that says each value has a need and a fear. So tranquility, their fear is conflict. Their need is harmony. 
So guess what? This job was a credit collection call department. Right. Not what the is most every, tranquil <laughs> environment, in other words. And in conflict. What is every single, what's every single interaction is I'm calling you to collect money that's due to me. And I said, why are you hiring people with tranquility? And he says, well, Ken, our reputation is in the tank. Nobody likes us. We're horrible in all our ratings out there. And I wanted to hire nice people. And I said, yeah, but what's happening is every single moment in their interaction in their job is conflict. That's creating this internal consternation for them and stressor for them. And as a result, that's why you have a 400% turnover. So what was your advice to this? To this we person? need to hire people who can tolerate the stress and then we coach them to be nice. Don't value tranquility so much. <laughs> well, you can't hire to that because if if tranquility is an internal motivator, it's unavoidable that it needs to be present for the majority of my day-to-day. Right. So example is another one might be challenge. If challenge is one of my motivators and I have that team member on a routine job or position or role day-to-day, I know over time boredom's going to set in and that's their fear. And then they're going to quit. So this is where engagement starts to fall off is can I construct a life and a job and a role that is equivalent to what my core values are or my behavioral values? And most people don't even know what their values are. No, they don't. Um, There is a statistic that I read in your uh, I was prepping for this and going through some of your stuff. Uh, and you quote you you quoted this data point. Eighty percent of the working population are unhappy in their work. So, what role do values play into that that statistic, which is pretty doom and gloom? Like, where where is the intersection here? Well, it's critical. There's there's two or three th- components that are contributing to that data point, and that's a Gallup study. And Gallup has been doing this research for about twenty years, and it actually was as high as ninety percent. It's improved all the way to the fact that only 80% now are dissatisfied with their work or not engaged. Such great news. Yeah. yeah. So uh, purpose, personality, and values are core pieces that contribute to this engagement or fulfillment. If I'm on a role, just as these telecall people of tranquility, that's in contrary to my core values, I cannot sustain engagement. Right. And so the challenge is most people don't know what their values are. In today's society, we have so many choices, so many options. Uh, if you were to actually go to the North American SIC or what they call the Na- National Occupational Codes, there's 40,000 job titles. Right. So there's so many opportunities, so many choices online, on, um, offline, that I can't, I can't make situational decisions anymore. It's the paradox of choice. It's right. the same it's, reason it's, it's it overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So we actually, we actually, because we have a full online course around the values preference indicator, we asked this question What would it be like if you could make the right decision every time? And the reality is, if you know what your core values are and you filter decisions through those core values, then you're going to be right almost every time when you make the decisions. The challenge is, I get in a role, I get in a responsibility, and here's the reality. The people that have tranquility as a value, they should have never said yes to work at that call center in the first place. If I knew that, uh, that tranquility and having conflict inherently and intentionally was right. important to me, then why would I even apply for that job? So they have a 400%. So you have two things. You have the manager who's hiring the wrong person. We have people that are applying to the wrong jobs, both being 
unaware right. of what their core values are. Now, there were five studies done that we quote in our research around what's the importance of values. By knowing your values, you do, do you know that your stress level goes down significantly? Because, How come? Because clarity does, is not consternation. So if I don't know that I don't know what I stand for, once I know who I am, I actually relax in my personhood. Right. And so my uh, stress levels go down, my st- uh, cortisol levels go down. The, another study showed that my decision-making is improved because I am, I'm more confident in my personhood. I know who I am. I'm not apologizing for it, whatever. So I can actually stand in my space and hold my space in a more confident matter because I know who I am. I'm also more open to negative feedback mm. because I'm not... I'm not challenging my existence or my value, pardon the pun, because you're giving me negative feedback. I know that space. Now, it was interesting. The other thing that happened with students that were studying is that students who knew their values actually uh, didn't get involved with the wrong crowds because they didn't have to kind of prove themselves to others as well. So, And their grade point averages improved and were higher because they knew who they were as well. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of studies that confirm that knowing who I am and making the right decisions is valuable for us, but also makes it just so much less stressful for ourselves. You mentioned like, like almost no one knows their core values on an individual sort of personal level. And then I'd also make the case that many businesses don't actually understand their core values or the core Mm -hmm. values that they have are just surface level words that they've put on a poster and said integrity and quality and workmanship. It's like, you don't spend five minutes in that business. You can see that none of these things actually matter to you. You've just, you just did this because you thought it was important and you come up with some arbitrary, uh, you know, got a dictionary out and pick some stuff that, that sounded good. Um, my question is why, why don't most people know their val? Like why, why is this such a mystery? Like, why, well, you know, first of is all, it education? Would, is it parenting? Is it society? Like what's, why, why is this such well, a again, question it goes, mark? It goes back to people have not been willing to do the work. They haven't really uh, gone down this journey. Now, most people listening or watching the show, they'll know and, and accept this whole concept of values as a concept. They, they will, totally. they, they will just get that. But then we go and say, well, what are your top values? Well, I'm not exactly sure. So they haven't really done that work of filtering through it. That's why we created an assessment that in about 30, 35 minutes, you will filter to the top what your core behavioral values are. The same thing with the business. I don't want to intermix the two, but they're both very important. Is that a business, if they have a list of values, do you really own them? Do you know what they mean? And so in our work, so if we shift for a moment into organizational or team values, we usually say, make that a one or two or a three word sort of definition, like <clears throat> integrity, and then add a sentence or two of defining what, what does you it, mean by, by what do you mean by integrity so that there's no uh, confusion in, or misinterpretation. Yeah, yeah the yeah. interpretation is clear about what I mean by that. Okay. So if I say continuous improvement, uh, doing the right thing, I fit that in. Now, my argument for or my position for those people that own companies and you have team values, if you're not willing to live, live the values you have listed or there, then just don't have any because you're actually doing a disservice. There's a lack of congruence, your integrity sort of at question mark. So when we think about team values, uh, there was a study done by Forbes. It was just a recent study said that employees are 51 times 
more engaged when the company has their values clarified. I didn't make that up. That's not an incorrect. That's 51 times more engaged because they know what you stand for. So if I don't know what you stand for, then anything will do. And as a result of that, can I be clear of that? Now there's two parts as you're talking about before, if we're in the team values side, first of all, do I know what those team values are? Do I have a definition so that you as the team member understand what we mean by that word? And then the next one is how well are we doing on fulfilling it? And this is where a lot of times we don't rank. We do. We have our financial statements, but we don't rank how well are we at fulfilling that. Right. So let's say we say respect. Okay, so let's go around. So in our team value sort, we not only help people clarify what their top values are as a team, we then have the assessment go back out, what we call part two. So uh, Benji, could you rate us on a scale of one to five uh, that we always fulfill that respect? or we never do it. right? And so now all of a sudden you're ranking because if you don't measure how well you're fulfilling it from the people that are in the field, then you don't even know. Right. So you don't know that you don't know. So this is sort of this oblivion or oblivious kind of nature of I don't know what it is. And then the other question that we ask people is if we're not being successful in fulfilling that value, have we asked the question, what would we do differently? What would we start doing? What would we stop doing so that we would have a respectful workplace? Right. And so we're not doing those things in organization. Oh, it's, we're going to get this next project. We're working on those other items. They're not taking the time to take a breather, to do the work here, because this is going to make your team way more productive, more, way more cohesive. But we're, we're just kind of rushing through the business side of stuff. You know, what's the inventory? Where's the painters? Where are this guy's going versus what are, what are the values? So, but the, there's the, I like what you just said about there being two parts. There's like, it, like establishing the core values or defining the core values. Uh, and, but the second part and probably the, where the real work happens is, is measuring how congruent your business or organization is with what you said is important to you, which I don't think, I don't think almost anyone does. This is just an exercise and picking fancy words and saying, this really matters to us here. And then that's kind of the end of it. We've all seen those mission and vision statements that are hanging on the, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, customers excellence. And I said, well, that's not evident here. So (laughs) show me one trend, (laughs) show me one data point that that matters to you. Yeah. And uh, what I'm experiencing right now is not that. So I think that's where you just set up that system. It doesn't have to be difficult. It's not hard. You just actually have to do it and then confirm. And the other one is you were, I think we were asking, you know, sort of off air, okay, I'm hiring people to the team values. I think if you want to have a team that's cohesive is that you make sure that that is part of the interview process and say, can you agree to these values? Now, if somebody's misrepresenting says, yeah, I can agree to that. I can agree to that. When it comes to accountability, you already know in the interview that that you agreed to these values, but you also need to share them. So I know this is what I stand for, that excellence or innovation or respect are the core things that we stand for. Now, one other thing I do want to mention around team and organizational values, it really needs to be a short list. It can't be 20 of them. It can't be 30 of them. Most companies, when Forbes did the study of the top 100 companies and what their values list is three to five. The odd one had six. So three to five is kind of the core value. What can I focus on? Yeah. I can't have 21 number one values. That's a great point. Both personally and or organizationally. It's too confusing. Yeah. So what, what is the most important for them? And then go on this journey to say, what do I need to create? What do I need to do? What do I need to start? What do I need to stop? So that those values are present within this organization. And here's the other thing. 
in an organizational values, I believe that you are okay to update them, upgrade them. Right. In, um, in other words, they're not permanent. You, you, they can evolve with you over they time. They can evolve over time. And here's the other one for those of you that are uh, business owners and you're the primary owner or you have a partnership and there's two or three of you. Uh, our bias is, is that the majority of the values that need to be present in this organization need to come from you. You know, if I'm in an organization with a thousand employees and I have a team, then the team's kind of deciding organically what those core values would be that we represent. Mm -hmm. And our assessment gives you sort of a list of 21 or 42 or whatever you can trim right down to your three or five or six that you want to have. But if you're the owner and then you let the team decide what the values are and they're not congruent with what's important to you as the owner, then you have a problem. So my encouragement is, is, and this is not anything bad, is that you are the owner. So you set the stage it's of what those core values yeah. yes, are. And then you are hiring to that. You're building a team to it. And that's not bad. That's not something that's a dictator. This is something because this is your company and you want it to represent what those core values are for you. So I... <clears throat> I want to get into the like the hiring questions and how to make sure that we're picking we're selecting people that are aligned with this but but I think there's a step before which is this if there's someone listening who has not established uh, company values for themselves or maybe they have but they've done the very surface level version of it which I was mm -hmm. kind of joking about before they've, they've picked yeah. three words that sounded good and made a poster in Canva and put it on the wall and then just kind of forgotten about it so if someone hasn't made them or they've done a poor job of it but they, they, they do take this seriously this conversation resonates with them what is your advice around crafting company values are there steps that someone should follow is there wisdom that you can share on that front? Well, first of all, uh, you go back to, do I have them or not? Look at them. If, uh, and put your, let's say they don't, they don't have them. Well, then you start asking the question, what would be important values that I might want to consider? Uh, and at, at, at the peril of self-promotion, we have a team value sort that gives you 21 or even another 21 to start thinking about. Right. So when we were doing the research on that assessment, when we said, here are the top values that the top companies are considering. So these are really current and valuable. And for you to look at and said, okay, here are the core values that other companies are considering, like doing the right thing, integrity, creativity, innovation, whatever it might be. From there, you if you want to have the feedback of others, you've already selected what those top values are. Then you're going to start prioritizing what is the number one value for us and put that back out to the team and start living this and say, OK, and then what is the definition of that? So in other words, how does respect really show up in this environment? And guess what? You get to define it if you want to. We have uh, default definitions on our values, but if you want to tweak, tweak it, it you, you you're allowed to do that, obviously. And you start going on this journey of clarity. And if, if the research shows is that people are more productive because they know what you stand for. Mm. And even when you're going to hiring, if you share these values and they are really not in alignment with it, there's going to be some disclosure of that. There's going to be some evidence that there's a, there's a lack of congruence or the flip side says, oh, finally, Benji, it's really nice to have a company that knows what they stand for yeah. is, is that, you know, a lot of times when we were hiring and of course, BTA does this as well as anybody as far as teaching, you want to be attractive as an employer. Of course you do. If you're confusing and unknown and don't know what you stand for and who you are and what's important to you and you don't live it and there's a lack of congruence, then... Uh, 
are you going to attract the stars? Yeah. You're not. So by doing this work, you're actually making yourself more attractive as a company, as an organization, as a team, but are also helping with your behaviors within the team because these values are driving what is permitted or not permitted right. or accepted or acknowledged. All these verbs that we can use to describe how we're going to show up. And this is important to us in this company. You know, that's an interesting comment you you made about being appealing to the candidate. One of the things, I think we've done a good job of this at Breakthrough Academy. So it's be real, uh, genuinely care about people and embrace the journey. It's three, not 30, just three. And then there's a little definition. There's a little blurb behind each of those. And that goes on all the job postings that we have out there. And we've got, you know, at any given time, we've got three to five open positions that we're always recruiting for. And it comes up a lot in some of these conversations that the core values thing, like the prospect without us asking them about it, they'll mm. come to us saying, I actually no, really noticed the part about uh, when you talked about like be real, that's a value of yours. That really means something to me. And here's why. And I want to, you know, it, it just, it really creates an interesting conversation in that recruiting and hiring process. When you do a good job articulating this publicly, uh, it does, uh, compel the right people to come mm. forward and it repels the wrong people to go away. I, this is a slight tangent, but I went, I, I went through the exercise of doing this for myself. Ken, I don't know if I, I don't know if I did the right thing, uh, uh, you know, ac according to your framework, but I literally booked, this is like two or three years ago. Now I, uh, I got an Airbnb, like literally a cabin in the woods and I did like a cabin in the woods. It was just me. I got some nice food. I got my favorite IPA. I was there for two days and I did, I wrote a painted picture. So sort of like, uh, I think I did like life at 50, just wrote it all out. And then I did a core values thing. And um, the I, I thought I, I printed them out. I thought I'd just like share, share one for the sake of it. Uh, I think I have eight. So Please do. I'll just interview you right now. So here's, here's, I just, there, I'm not, I'm not uh, sharing this because I think I'm that interesting. It's more about the the process, and mm -hmm. I just would tell you what it's done for me. So what? Here's here's one. Here's a, a core value of mine: seek simplicity, accept complexity. And here's here's the few sentences on it. The world is inherently complex and getting more so every year. The universe tends towards entropy and our planet is along for the ride. Amongst the chaos and confusion of modern living, the enlightened soul seeks simplicity. Simple things, simple thoughts, simple environments, simple people, simple relationships, and simple ways of being. Simple is the ideal. Life isn't ideal though. And sometimes simplicity isn't possible. Sometimes it will be complicated. Sometimes you will need to live in the gray and that is okay too. accept these moments for what they are a necessary part of existence don't let complexity rattle you you can handle it take a breath slow down and work your way through it but always keep seeking the simple so like i haven't read that in two or three years i'm like you know I, that's a good message like that's a good reminder that's a good well, little even, mantra to follow and it's instructive it's not just a word like there's actually i'm saying something here to myself and now i'm saying it to you for the sake of sharing and for the sake of this podcast but i found that i found that a really useful exercise and it wasn't so much the, the picking the words part it was the expanding on it part where you really find the the meat the, the meaning okay so i'm gonna make this a teachable moment sure okay so if anybody was listening to Benji while he was sharing that, you were energized. We're here in studio. Your energy just went vibrant right. at that time because it's yours. In the very beginning of the show, you asked, what makes something valuable? The simple answer is you do. 
Right. I don't know why people like golf. There's some people like golf. I hate I, golf. Okay. <laughs> but some people are out there and they're doing it. They or it. tennis or what or right. ball or right. whatever it is, is that you don't need to know why you like golf or why you like something you or why do. something value. You just know that. Yeah. Right. And so you were communicating what's valuable to you. Yeah. This is most important. So that applies in interpersonally or personally, and it applies company wide. And as well as being clear, you've now put a very succinct definition of what you mean by simplicity and how you accept complexity. So just to be super, super practical, would you advise business owners who think that this is important to carve out some space and go through an exercise kind of like I did, where it's just a brainstorming exercise, put some stuff down, step away from it for a few hours, come back, see what you like, see what you don't, and kind of pare this down to a collection of three to five values or mantras or statements or phrases that you can say that for the foreseeable future, it might change in a few years, but I think this is good for us. This is a solid mm -hmm. compass. This is the solid starting point. Is that a worthwhile exercise? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't do it, then what do you have? And the other one is make sure that you go to your team with this list afterwards is how well are we doing on this? Right. So you get clear as the owner, you get clear what's most important. I'd also suggest if we backdoor this to where we started, is this also is important for your personal values? So if I'm going to really be a motivated, engaged, and by the way, personal values also apply to all applicants. Not only are we talking about, okay, innovation or creativity or customer service as an applicant, we also want to find out what are their key internal motivators. So we don't want to be this tranquility boss hiring people for a tranquility when they have a conflict job. The internal motivators. So we also teach about how personal style or personality links into a position and you need to have job fit. You need to have values fit from a personal fulfillment point of view as well. But the same journey that we talked about going with your corporate values or team values also is personally. Yeah. So in our values assessment, we get people to do what we call window shopping. Here's 21 values. They're all based on which of ones our, do you like, which ones do you feel are most important to you? Right. And then we take you through what we call the values matrix. We force you or ask you to do 300 decisions in 30 minutes and to compare every value to every other value five times. And this is behavioral values. And sometimes the values match the first list and the second list. And the other times the first list and the second list don't match. Right. And so, well, why'd that happen? Well, a lot of times people are living other people's values. Right. So, right. I, so, so, so there's all these societal. So at first, they're like, so at first they're like, that one matters, that one matters. And then you go through the exercise of actually prioritizing. And it turns out these other ones that they didn't self-identify are more important. And you're suggesting that that means they're kind of being taught, they're being messaged, they're being told what to think or what to oh. hold as a value. When in reality, there's something deeper that matters to them that this, I guess this, um, this, uh, this indicator helps you find. Absolutely. So lot, there are all these external pressures, you know what, mom, dad, society, your friends, oh, you, you can't be serious about that. Right. Ken. Right. And you have these pressures. So, oh, I must value that. Oh, you know, I must really, I really need to value money or, or whatever the case might be. So a lot of times in cultural nuances, I mean, we have a very diverse world and different cultures value different things differently. And so that is overlaying onto people and putting pressure. So when in the personal, in the values preference indicator, when we get further down the track and there's, you know, we cover this in the online course or in the tool, just sort of narratively is we ask you, okay, here's your top seven values that you've identified personally. 
what uh, people are challenged of, he says, well, why is this valuable? So you can't have 21 number one values. Right. <laughs> it's, so well, no, all of these are important. No, no, no. You, 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 make, you always are forced with choices of prioritizing one thing over another. So quick story. Many, many years ago when my son was uh, eight or nine years of age, just prior to a call from my wife, my friend phoned me and he says, listen, Ken, would you like to come to an invite only in, uh, real estate investors meeting? So this is ground level. We got this is a high level of returns, whatever. And he said, you want this meetings in Vancouver, you come in here uh, on Thursday afternoon. I said, or evening. I said, yeah, sure. That's fine, Mike. Come by the office, pick me up and we'll go. So about an hour before Mike's about to pick me up, my wife phones me and says, Ken, are you coming to the kids concert or am I picking you up from the office? Kids concert, what are you talking about? No, no, Tim's doing a solo in front of all the students in the entire school in two hours from now. Really? I completely forgot. And I said, well, no, I mean, Mike is uh, coming pretty soon. He's going to take me into this, you know, invite only event. You've got the video camera. You video uh, Tim. I'll come back home. I'll watch that whole thing. Yada, yada, yada. Well, this is before cell phones were restricted. So she says, no, 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 I'm not going to tell him that. You tell him that. So she hands the phone back to him and they're in their van, they're driving. And I says, Tim, here's the story. Yada, yada, yada. And I says, Tim, you know, I'm sorry. This is what's going on. And my son and his nine-year-old wisdom said, dad, why don't you just say no? Smart kid. Smart kid. And uh, thank goodness I said no to this real estate investment. Now, here's this other thing. I had scarcity uh, mindset. There's never going to be another real estate investment opportunity in the history of mankind. That's the last one. There's never, ever going to be another one, Ken. But there's only going to be my nine-year-old in front of it. And by the way, he rocked that audience of 400 people. <laughs> so we always have choices in front of us about what's most important right. and what's driving that. So what we for, we ask people to do as they get further down into the assessment is that to rank themselves, are you feeling fulfilled in this, this value or not? And there's the grid of needs and fears for all the 21 values. If it's a minus, what do you need to, just like the organization, what, what, what I need to change, what I need to start, what do I need to stop? Is this a positive, what I need to continue? And I got to this part in, in a seminar I was doing for an organization. There was a 22-year-old in the back, and he was just really distraught. And so his top seven values had a minus beside all of them. I said, why is that? It's just my whole life. I've lived what my parents want, not what I want. Mm. So we encourage people that your highest level of contribution, your highest level of giving, your highest level of engagement is when these values are being met in most cases, in most times. Mm. And it's not from a self-centered point of view. It's from a self-honoring point of view. So you're able to give and say, now, when I think about jobs and roles and responsibilities, even promotions or succession planning, I'm using these values to filter my decisions. Mm. And then the merge of the other values from the team around creativity or innovation or diversity are another layer of values that come that are part of this experience of where I'm working or a team or an organization. It's not one without the other. It's both are important as part of this journey. And that's why we have both in this show. So go going to like some personnel decisions for a second and, and really like, let's put ourselves in the shoes of a, um, a contractor who is hiring some key roles. The question is this, like how do we actually assess candidates alignment or lack thereof with our core values? So let's say, let's make up a really simple example. Um, 
let's say that I own a business and one of my core values is mastery. Okay. It's mastery. We, we believe in mastering your craft and always like constant improvement and always getting better. How do we, how do we interview for that? Like, like, because people talk about this all the time. We got to hire for values and then we'll train for skills and no one ever breaks down the steps. Mm -hmm. So if I'm saying mastery is important to me and I'm sitting across from someone who wants to uh, work for me as a project manager, how do I assess whether or not this mastery thing is important to them? Do I just say, is, is mastery important to you? And they say, yeah, it sure is. And then I hire them. And then six months later, it turns out it isn't. Like, what's the more rigorous process to assess whether or not we have a fit here on the mastery front, to use well, this example? In the world of HR or hiring people, we, we were hired to put the HR program together for a Fortune 50 company. There's a simple thing called behavioral interviews. Mm. Now, if somebody wants to lie... <laughs> effectively, that's what they're going to do. And that's who they are. You, you can't change that. You can only uh, integrate a system or a process to be able to filter through and help people to make uh, decisions for yourself and, and for them. As is, is part of the be behavioral interview process is that, first of all, you need to agree on what mastery means. So there needs to be agreement of, so Benji, what is mastery? If I was to say word mastery to you, what would be your definition? What would that mean to you? How would that show up? Mm. And then you're sharing your definition and are we congruent on our understanding of what mastery means? That's step number one. Number two is, okay, you say you believe in mastery. Benji, in your past, in your work environment, where have you demonstrated that value? Can you give us a story about where this was present and how you've embraced mastery as part of your life? So your, so where's okay. the evidence? This is good. Okay. So this is good. You, you bring up, you bring up the word or the term or the phrase, and you say, this is important to us. What does this phrase mean to you? And you listen and you hear their definition and maybe it's, maybe they nailed it. Maybe it's slightly off. Maybe it's way off. And then you share yours and you see how closely your mm -hmm. two interpretations of that word means. You come to some form of agreement around this is the, okay. So let's just say for the sake of this conversation, this is what we, we mean by mastery. Step two is then to go into a more behavioral interviewing style where you're like, okay, so show me some evidence. What's an example of a craft that you have mastered in the past? What's an example? Tell us a story where mastery was really important to you and your belief in it led to a certain set of behaviors. So it's like get the definitions clear and then look for the evidence. And ask for the evidence. And if somebody wants to lie about it, they are going to be doing that. But again, you can say, where has it done? Where has it occurred? Where has it happened? And, and what does it mean to you? And then the other one is, uh, if I'm the employer, I might then articulate, okay, Benji, we're planning on hiring you. This is how we expect mastery to show up for you in this role. And, and how, so you're starting to articulate the expectations so we've talked about that in a leadership show where I can't have accountability to expectations. Yeah. This is where clarity will lead to the clarity of expectations, clarity of values. And this is really about a conversation. I mean, I don't have to be uh, cynical all the time. I could just have this conversation in that if I'm skilled at my behavioral interview questions, then people aren't necessarily... Um, they're just going to flow through it naturally of, okay, this is what occurred. So let's say integrity was one of the values. Sure. 
and you're saying, okay, where were you challenged with your integrity? Well, the job here, they asked me to kind of fudge the numbers on the inventory and I refused to do so. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's an example of, okay, I held my integrity mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that, uh, the environment around me was asking me to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. And w what you'll see with this framework, I'm assuming, is that if mastery or integrity or whatever you decide is important to you is indeed there, you will see example after example after example of it. Unless you're a total you know, sociopath and a pathological liar, which those people exist also. But by and large, you're going right. to see it or you're not. And then you have a pretty clear understanding of are we aligned on this. And the other one is, is somebody says, well, I never really thought about it. They, right. you, you could be on the other side where it wasn't like they were trying to avoid it or trying to pretend that they had it. They just never really thought about it. Well, mastery. I've never really thought about that. So what does that mean? If you're, if you're yeah. in a hiring position, does that mean that person is unhirable? I don't know. What would you say? I don't know. I'm asking you. Like, is it, <laughs> is it, is it like, is it, you know, if someone has genuinely never thought of it, that just might mean they've not been shown this way of thinking. They maybe didn't have a mentor that talked about values. I, I would make the case that that doesn't rule them out just because they don't have Exactly. I was, I was being a bit facetious with you about that yeah. is that uh, just because they don't know that fact that they're, they're open about it yeah. is good in its first place and said, okay, well, would you be open to this? Do you, sure. Here's the expectation. So now we have a conversation about your journey towards embracing mastery in this company. Okay. Yeah, and absolutely. And so it does not preclude them just because you have a value that I've never considered before. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It, it, it gives some room for growth. Just so you know, you don't need to have the exact perfect definition that I do and have all these examples. No. You could actually just say, you know, I've, I've not thought about it, but I'm open to learning more. It, uh, by the way, Benji, you said something. If somebody says the exact definition of everything and agrees with everything, then I would be suspicious. Right. That's a good point. Um, so we talked a little bit about the hiring side. The other thing I want to touch on is the, f is the firing side. And so the question is this, if someone ha if someone, uh, has an employee or a stakeholder in their business that has clearly demonstrated they are incongruent with your, with your core values, you've gone through the work, you've thought about it, you've written about it, you've talked about it, you've explained it. And now six months later, a year later, two years later into working with this person, mm -hmm. they're showing signs that they, that, that value is not important to them whatsoever. Uh, if you, maybe I say mastery is important and two years into working with them, I see no evidence that they want to master their craft or improve or get better as a craftsman. Uh, maybe I say integrity is important. And, you know, two years later, there's consistent evidence that they actually say one thing and do another. Right. Okay. So here's my question. Is that like, is that, uh, is that, do we just fire these people or is this something we can coach towards? Like what's, how do we, when we they think the traditional answer, like, well, they're not in, they're not in alignment, just get rid of them. Is there more to say there when you see people? Uh, that I would say, uh, generally, yes, would be my answer to yeah. that, but it depends if it's teachable. So example, we, I think we talked in a different show around integrity. Integrity is a character trait. It's a choice. It's not something that's developed. And if they lack integrity, the likelihood that you can develop it is not there. So it's not a value of theirs. The likelihood that it's going to change is not there. And now here's the other thing that's important. If I'm in leadership and we say these values are important and I tolerate behavior contrary to that value. Yeah. My new policy is, is that's not the value anymore. 
especially if I'm going to tolerate it for over time and longitudinally with a, several employees is that say, well, if you say integrity is important and you're not conducting yourself, get it off the list because the lack of congruence is actually hurting your company right. and hurting you. Just say, hey, we don't operate in integrity. You don't have to put it up on the board and just leave it alone. Right. It, now, I remember a, a company we had, and this was the most toxic employee I've ever met. <laughs> and they, it was, it was part of a credit union. And she was the training manager and just vile. I mean, just just dripping in just this caustic, caustic stuff. I thought it was just, hey, man. And I said to the VP, why are you keeping her? And she says, she's the only one that knows our software. And she's the software training. And so, but they have tolerated her. Now they later on fired her, but they didn't have a backup plan and they tolerated the person, but it was just so vile. And there was nothing about this organization that really supported this person, except for the fact she had expertise in one area and the only person that had that expertise. Mm -hmm. And that's why they tolerate it. But it was such a scar on their business. It was... Mm -hmm. Anyway, I could even, I'm recalling it now when it was many yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah. And I said, it's oh, palpable. well, I had this person in my room and I said, I just, out you go. You can't stay here. It was just, it was, it was one of the few people I had to ask to leave the seminar because we we're just so toxic. One of the thing I, uh, before we close, I asked about, you know, if you have an, an employee working for you and they're, they're out of, they're out of alignment with your values, what to do. Here's another side of it. What about a client? What about a client? This person, this person is paying you to do a service, mm-hmm. and they're a miserable sob, or they are totally out of alignment with your values. I did a episode a few months ago about like I think it was called the the nineteen client red flags, and I you know we we mentioned this, but it was more just kind of I was poking fun at it and cracking some jokes. You know, do you do you have any thoughts around how to navigate cl- clients or potential clients who are totally out of alignment on our values mm. because obviously we'd like to work with people who share a worldview, who share a moral compass in a perfect world. In reality, that's not always the case, especially in early mm. days when you're a business owner, you kind of have to take what you can get. How do we, how do we incorporate this values filtering with our client relationships? Well, we, we teach a concept called attracting your perfect customer. And so you have to define what are the character traits of your clients as well as your employees. Right. And so, first of all, is who do you like to work with? People you like to work with. Who nice gets to decide who that? Pay the who, bills. Yeah. Guess who do you get to decide that? You do, right? And so, here's the other one: is all all of us have had that dramatic, high drama, demanding client. Totally. What does it do to your energy? It just destroys it. It sucks it, right? Yeah. And what does it do to your energy? To your nice clients, it takes your focus away right. from them. So there is always a point at some level or another where you have to fire the clients. I mean, don't be afraid of that because it's costing you so much in your personal and organizational energy. And just here comes some more drama. You know, when that call's coming in, oh man, Benji's calling. Who wants to answer it? Nobody wants to answer it. You know, it's trouble. You know, it's trouble. So the same thing from supplier chain to partners. Vendors, everything. Is that that all of that is, can I be like-minded? Nobody's going to be exactly a fit. But if they are just constantly draining, they're taking away from your energy that you can put into clients who appreciate you Mm. uh, more so. So absolutely, you need to fire. And I think there's another part here, Benji, where as you grow as a company, as you grow as an organization, you will outgrow certain jobs. 
Of course. And so that's not to say that you are better than them and that you, you, you just, they're not good enough for you. It's just not it's what a, you do anymore. It's not what you do anymore. However, in our business, and I was mentored under uh, Alan Weiss, he said, always have a backup set. Okay, Benji, we don't do that level of project anymore. But this, but this guy is, does. This, this yeah. guy does. But it's somebody that you trust. Right. And somebody right. has a reputation and they'll appreciate the reverse right. do. So we yeah. already know that. And yeah. so that's just a natural progression of that. Let's end with this. What What is at stake if we operate in perpetuity without clarifying our own team and personal values? What's what's What do we run the risk of having happen? Well, if we don't have any clarification, then anything will do. If I have nothing that's really clarified, then anything is possible. But that means anything's possible on the negative side. Mm-hmm. So confusion really creates consternation, creates a mess. And so if you don't know what you're standing for, then anything will happen. Mm-hmm. And so my encouragement is go on this route. Now, I'll end with this. I didn't really preface this, but um, a colleague, Brendan Bouchard, wrote the book Habits of High Performers. The number one habit of high performers was clarity. Mm-hmm. Number one. So clarity is critical to success in life in our personally and professionally in our business. Where can people uh, connect with you if they want to learn more about uh, values, as we've talked about today, or the rest of the work that you do? Well, it's crgleader.com, crgleader.com, and we have the values preference indicator and the team values indicator, and so people can get clear about that, and they can find out more in in that location. Thanks for being here today, Dr. Ken. As always, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you next time. Always a delight. Thank you. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.